Good afternoon, Dr. Dan Guerra here on Authentic Biochemistry Studios. Today is the 16th of February and the year is 2020. We're going to be finishing the fatty acid lectures today. So I'm going to call it the CODA for fatty acids. Uh, I think this is lecture eight on the series. And I will remind you, I did a YouTube lecture a few days ago. I really recommend you go look at that because it shows structures. And it does give you a pretty good idea of fatty acid desaturation and utilization. Um, but today, we're going to talk about pancreatic cancer. Uh, start off with that. Now, of the cancers that cause death in the United States, pancreatic cancer is number four. So the typical therapy for this sort of cancer is surgical resection. Um, and unfortunately, people do not get diagnosed early on, certainly not during the early prodromal phases of pancreatic cancer. And so by the time surgical excision is the choice of therapy, medical therapy, it's often too late. So then if anyone is suggested to go on to chemotherapy subsequent to or perioperative, it usually doesn't work very well. So the idea is to try to get a better handle on the biochemistry and pathology of pancreatic cancer so that you get a feeling for maybe there could be specific sorts of uh, pharmacotherapy that could precede any kind of surgery. Now, there's a protein called the FBW7, or it's the FBOX and WD repeat domain containing seven. And if you know anything about the ubiquitin pathway and about proteolysis via the proteasome, um, the FBW7, because it's an FBOX and WD protein, is actually the substrate recognition component of the SKP1, CO1, FBOX, ubiquitin ligase complex. And what it does is it targets proteins, right, for degradation. Now, interestingly, this particular FBOX protein will target oncoproteins uh, very specifically. So MYC, cyclin E, NOTCH, and June are often um, proteins that when they become mutated at the DNA level and then transcribed and translated, those polypeptides often are associated with some of this ductal carcinoma you see in pancreas. So the loss of the function of that FBW7 leads to directly chromosomal instability, which we talked a lot about in aging. And of course, chromosomal instability can lead to tumor genesis, oncogenesis. So the FBW7 gene is one of the ones, again, that we see often under multiple mutation signatures. Now, these would be regular mutations, not epigenetic modifications. But unfortunately, when you do this sequence of the known mutations, it looks like fewer than 2% of all the pancreatic cancer samples that come post-mortem have indeed FBW7 mutations. So it doesn't seem like they're very frequent. But when you do find them, they are found in pancreatic cancer. So you get the idea that they can be enriched in that particular pathophysiological state. 
Now, what was discovered was that ERK kinase phosphorylates FBW7 at a particular T205 locus. And that will induce a destabilization of the protein. And that's what you observe in the cancer. So it looks like you may have an FBW7 negatively regulating glucose metabolism in pancreatic cancer. Isn't that interesting because of the pathway association? So gene expression profiling was done, and it looks like the FBW7-regulated glucose metabolism is via a CMIC TXNIP axis. TXNIP is another protein associated with this oncogenesis. Now, they noticed in this analysis that, uh, that FBW7 down-regulates genes. And many of the ones that are down-regulated when the protein is active and functional are, of course, in, because I'm talking about in fatty acids, lipid metabolism. Okay? Particular, it looks like FBW7 might be associated with lipid peroxidation. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to back up here and I'm going to mention to you about ferritosis. Ferritosis, as the name suggests, is a programmed cell death that is iron-linked. That gets iron dependent, and it's not apoptosis because it's a essentially programmed cell death that will lead directly to an immune response because the cellular contents will not be self-consumed, but rather they will be redistributed uh, extracellularly, and that will induce a global immune response. Now that often suggests that there's some kind of uh, disruption of the membrane. And one of the easiest ways to disrupt membrane is to carry out lipid peroxidation. So now you get the whole concept of where we're coming from here with this um, protein that is normally involved in protein degradation when it is modified, mutated or modified because of alterations in glucose metabolism because of phosphorylation state of the polypeptide. This seems to be linked to ferritosis and ferritosis lipid, lipid peroxidation. And so that's where we are. Then you, of course, you're directly linking what could this uh, association be at the very specific level. Now, previous studies have shown that ferritosis is linked to RAS mutation. RAS, of course, is another one of these proteins in signal transduction that we find mutated in uh, oncogenic uh, systems. So it was suggested that RAS mutant cancer cells may be a good target. And so when you target that lineage, um, what you find is that there's a compound called erastin. And erastin will lead to a RAS selective lethal 3 or RSL3 iron-dependent, non-apoptotic form of cell death. You see that here we're talking about how you can lead to a ferritonic event in cancer cells. You understand? So, <clears throat> interestingly, greater than 95% of pancreatic ductal carcinoma have a KRAS mutation. So, is that linked to ferritosis? It might well be, but it doesn't mean that it is causally linked. You could simply be correlated. 
So let's go back to discuss this FBW7. FBW7 then appears to be inhibited by a RAS-RAF-MAC-ERK pathway. This is all a phosphorylation standard uh, signal transduction cascade, which when corrupted can lead to oncogenesis. So now you've got a direct linkage that may be associated with veratosis and pancreatic cancer. Now, it was shown before that FBW7 promotes apoptosis in various non-carcinogenic cell lines. Also, FBW7 is a potential to regulate alternating sensitivity to chemotherapeutics. So you've got this um, chemotherapeutic called gemcitabine, and that is very commonly used as a pharmacotherapy in pancreatic cancer. Once it's detected, as I said, it's already usually so far that you're ready for resection. However, pancreatic cancer cells will become gemcitabine um, apoptotic. And so gemcitabine resistance develops quickly during chemotherapy for pancreas, cancer, pancreatic cancer. So ferritosis being a non-apoptotic cell death um, might be a, a target that would be differentially associated with what happens with gemcitabine when you start to pick up resistance. You see, how, you see where this is going. So it, essentially, you could guess that a combination of ferritosis and apoptosis could ultimately result in the death of pancreatic cancer cell carcinoma. So what they did in this study I'm, I'm looking at here is this Redox Biology published in 2021. They were looking at FBW7 and how it affects ferritosis in a pancreatic cell background. And what they're going to find is that FBW7 seems to activate both programmed cell deaths, apoptosis and ferritosis. And it seems to work through the expression of two different proteins, the NR4A1. Now, we talked about NRA proteins before. And interestingly, the serocoa desaturase one. That's why we're talking about it today, right? Both of those proteins, when you have alteration of expression, can induce ferritosis and apoptosis. So FBW7 actually potentiates a cytotoxic effect that occurs with gemcitabine used as a chemotherapeutic in uh, pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma. So it could be that if we could find small molecules that could target this FBW7 and then associated proteins, the NR4A1 and the one mostly we're looking at today, desaturase one you might be able to generate an advanced acceleration of ferritosis linked also with apoptosis. And this could be an early pharmacotherapeutic for pancreatic cancer. For the ones that have um, reached a point perhaps at the level of resection and before it, be, it gets far enough along that um, it's more likely to cause mortality. 
Now, uh, that kind of puts that whole thing together. Now, I'm going to go to a paper published in Cancer Research. Uh, wasn't only, was only published a few years back, 2019, late uh, that year in October. And I'm going to go through this paper rather quickly because I want to get it done. So ferritosis is definitely a common programmed cell death. And we know that ferritosis may be useful in cancer treatment because of the fact it will cause a massive destruction of cells and it can also induce an immune response. You see, so you get both flavors of what's going on here. When you have apoptosis, there's a very limited immune response. Now, lipid peroxidation is, of course, very important in ferritosis. This is something I've mentioned before in lecture. Elevated levels of PE, that's phosphatidylethanolamine, will uh, result in oxidized polyunsaturated fatty acids that become oxidized during the ferrotonic mechanism, particularly a couple of polyunsaturated fatty acids we just covered in the video lecture. Arachidonate, which is, of course, 20 colon 4, and then another uh, fatty acid, C22, but only with four double bonds, and that's actually adrenic acid, C22 colon 4. Both of those fatty acids, when they are peroxidated, will trigger ferritosis. So you have a couple of proteins that limit the generation of lipid peroxides and which would then result in ferritosis. The proteins are the glutathione peroxidase 4, the GPX4, which I've talked about many times in the past. What that does, obviously, is going to reduce oxidized fatty acids to their corresponding alcohols. And those fatty acids aren't going to be free. They're going to course, be associated either as oxygen esters with thioesters. So that's important because that would mean biological significance. Then you have another protein called SLC7A11. Sorry for the signature, but it's okay because I'm going to tell you it's a cysteine anti-porter, anti-porter. So cysteine, of course, is a, um, is, is a dimer of cysteine, right? So that particular protein, the SLC7A11, is an antiporter that carries cysteine across. And that will then provide, once you break that um, cyst, that thio, um, excuse me, that disulfide between two cysteine residues, you'll generate two cysteines. And that cysteine will then be used for the synthesis of glutathione. You see how these two proteins that would function together, the antiporter and the glutathione peroxidase fork, which glutathione Proxys 4 is going to need glutathione. Glutathione is a trimer in one of the amino acids cysteine, right? Okay. So that's how you get the whole thing put together. So there are small molecule inhibitors of GPX4 and or SLC7A11. And those include this RSL3 or Arrestin. And that's respectively for those two uh, proteins. Both of those will induce, the small molecule inhibitors of those two proteins will induce ferritosis. So, proceeding along with your understanding of lipid metabolism, an inhibition of an acyl-CoA synthetase, long-chain family member, that's going to be an ACSL4, which normally activates long-chain PUFAs for lipid synthesis, will protect cells from ferritosis. That's because you don't make the ester, you see. 
because you can't make the ACE-CoA. Another uh, well-known descriptor for inhibiting this process is lysophosphatidylcholine acyltransferase because that's involved in the generation of polyunsaturated fatty acids associated with phosphatidylethanolamine. So one more thing to keep in mind here, we're going to bring in now sterile lipids because I know you have a good understanding how sterile metabolism and acyl metabolism are, are correlated according to their biosynthesis and utilization in the cell and also extracellularly. So you remember the enzyme squalene synthase, the inhibition of that important enzyme during cholesterologenesis would affect multiple metabolites in that pathway. <clears throat> what pathway is that? Mavalonic acid pathway. Now that's going to include an alteration after you inhibit squalene synthase of the antioxidant known as CoQ10, which of course, because it's an antioxidant, would sensitize cells to ferritosis. Okay. So sterile codesaturase one, as I've been telling you now for a couple several lectures, is of course an enzyme that is upregulated in numerous malignancies. We mentioned this. Liver is the one we hit hardest. We also talked about breast cancers, but also prostate cancer. So sterocoidesaturase one, of course, synthesizes primarily from sterate and palmitate, either oleic acid or palmitoleic acid, respectively. And so the idea, according to what they're looking at in this paper, this 2019 paper, was perhaps the upregulation of this desaturase could be an intrinsic cytoprotective mechanism that protects cancer cells from the cytotoxic action of ferritosis inducers because of the association of either the substrates or the products of desaturase one with complex lipids, such as ceramide. And I've covered that already uh, in previous lectures. So they tested the hypothesis on ovarian cancer and ovarian cancer stem cell lines. And what they knew is that ovarian cancer stem cells are indeed sensitive to ferritosis induction via the introduction of arastin. And that could be shown both in vitro and in vivo in uh, mouse models. Now, cancer stem cells are believed to be a small treatment refractory subpopulation of all general tumor cells, but those unfortunately will seed metastasis. And that's how you get treatment resistance. This is well known. So cancer stem cells are particularly lethal because they will result in metastasis. So lipid desaturation, we know, increases and contributes to the maintenance of stemness thus an increase in cancer stem cells. And it's been shown actually in ovarian cancer cells. So ovarian cancer represents a model in which to assess the role of serocoidesaturase 1 in its sensitivity to it, whatever compounds, small molecules we can use, like arrestin, to induce ferritosis. So SED1, that desaturase, of course, will do multiple things to the cell, but for considerations of this cancer story, remember it's going to alter membrane lipid composition, specifically at the level of sphingolipids and certain phosphoglycerol lipids. 
And during that alteration, you're going to get an induction of ferritosis or at least a modulation thereof. And it's been known, uh, and I mentioned this a couple lectures ago, that SCD1, when it's inhibited, enhances the anti-tumor effect of ferritosis induction. And now I'm telling you that occurs in ovarian cancer cell lines. Okay? So we're putting this together. So there are multiple histological subtypes of ovarian cancer. I need to mention this. One of them is indeed an adenocarcinoma, but you also have an endometrioid and a high-grade serous type of ovarian cancer. The high-grade serous is shortened as HG-SOC, S-O-C. So what they did in this paper is they examined whether or not SCD1 was upregulated across all those cancer subtypes, okay? And they compared, of course, to normal human ovarian surface epithelial cells, also known as Ho cells. And what they found is there was an increase in both the levels of the steroid desaturase 1 transcript, the RNA, and the protein in the ovarian cancer cell lines, except one. One did not show up. All those ones I just mentioned, very high levels. So the increase in the protein, SCD1, seems to be transcriptionally driven rather than a, a translation event or post-translational modification because you see both transcript and protein go up. Got it? So they did an immunohistochemical analysis and they showed that the protein, the, the steroid desaturase 1 protein, was indeed increased in the tumors in patients that they were looking at with this serous ovarian cancer. Remember, that's the HGSOC. And they were comparing that, of course, uh, the control, the non-malignant ovarian, just simple epithelial cells. So they examined um, steroid desaturase 1 in a genetic model of ovarian cancer stem cells too. And that was created by using <laughs> various um, introduction of gene expression protein, uh, that became proteins, an HTERT, the SV40 large T, and CMYK. And they put that into a normal human fallopian stem cell lineage, okay, to generate cancer stem cells. And they obtained cells of the fallopian tube, which represent at least one of the precursor cells for ovarian cancer. It's been well described. And it was shown that those FTT cells form tumors with a characteristic very similar to HGSOC, right? The serous uh, type of carcinoma. So SCD1 was similarly elevated in those cancer stem cells when they compared them to immortalized but not yet transformed fallopial, fallopium uh, stem cells. Those are called FTIs, by the way. So ovarian cancer can be divided into a prognostic series of subtypes, and you can do this with genetic expression profiles. Subtypes then can be identified where you say they're proliferative, they're differentiated, they're immunoreactive, and also mesenchymal. Remember that mesenchymal transition really leads to the very next stage, which is full-blown cancer, which will lead to metastasis. Now we're talking about stem cells, you know where that linkage is. So the levels of the steroidosaturase 1 transcripts differed across various subtypes that we just talked about, the proliferative, differentiated, et cetera. But the highest level was observed in the mesenchymal. And I told you that's the most potent, leading to full-blown oncogenesis. So it's the mesenchymal phenotype that was 
associated with stem cell characteristics with a sensitivity of the ferritosis inducers. And this is shown not just in ovarian cancer, but in, in multiple cancer lines. So you have a high level expression of steroid desaturase one in ovarian cancer cells. And of course, that may mean, it may suggest anyways, you can speculate that SCD1 is playing some role in those cancer cells. They tested the hypothesis by looking at inhib inhibiting the serocardia desaturase by using a, a couple of compounds, MF438 and something called K105566. Now, these are chemically distinct, but both of them will inhibit SCD1. You can guess that one of those is going to be a, a, an uh, alcohol of a fatty acid, just to uh, warn you that that's what, that is a very potent way to inhibit the stereocardiosaturase. And I mentioned that to you before, by the way. Also, epoxides will do it, right? You can get a spontaneous epoxide formed after you introduce uh, an OH group. So, uh, across where what was once a double bond, right? Yes. Or even during the processing. So a treatment of these HG SOC cells, as well as frank ovarian cancer stem cells, these are the FTTs, with either one of those inhibitors of desaturase, reduced cell viability of those cancer cells and indeed increased cell death. That's a good thing, right? So the viability can be restored showing you that knocking out the desaturase was the cause of the increased cell death because you can restore viability by loading up with oleic acid. So oleic acid will then prevent the programmed cell death via ferritosis that otherwise was induced after inhibiting the desaturase enzyme with those two compounds I just mentioned to you. So consistent with the higher levels of the serocoidesaturase in those FTT cells, as compared to those FTI, remember those are cells that are not, uh, have not yet gone into oncogenesis, the FTT cells, which have, they're transformed, were far more sensitive to the serocoidesaturase inhibitors than were the non-oncogenic, but yet uh, a lineage of stem cells, the FTIs. You get the point. So it looks like that movement from being ready to, re, not yet at the level, uh, a stem cell, which is not yet a stem cell that is carcinogenic stem cell, that's when you trigger, right at that point, that, that exact point is when serocodesaturase 1 becomes significant in that transformation, okay? So you get why this is really a, an interesting, and it's really a cool um very, very fine-tuning uh, of this pathway. We know this is where the desaturase kicks in. So this is good to know because it makes sense because it has to do with membrane fluidity changes and the alteration of the membrane linking to program cell death, right? Yes. So <clears throat> what it looks like is that Treatment with an SCD1 inhibitor increases lipid oxidation, is peroxidation, and that, of course, initiates veritosis. And indeed, if you inhibit SCD1 in COV362 cells using an siRNA, a small inhibitory RNA, and you measure the effects on cell viability and the knockdown, of course, of the 
transcript for SCD1, you do reduce cell viability in both of those ovarian cancer cells and in ovarian cancer stem cells that were generated. So the viability though can be restored by providing the cells with either oleic acid or uh, a, a palmitoleic acid. And that confirms that indeed the SCD1 prevents ferritonic cell death in both the ovarian cancer cells and in the ovarian cancer stem cells, okay? I got to check my time here because I know we're getting late on. Let's see here. Yeah. I'm going to stop here. I'm sorry about having to do it midstream. That means I got to do one more lecture, but I know you love my lecture, so it's okay. So I thought this was going to be the coda for fatty acid, uh, fatty acids and um, pathophysiology for the short. Remember, we're doing these short segments and we were doing fatty acids this time. But I'm going to do one more because I want to finish this really interesting discussion about how the inhibition of esterocoidesaturase um, can lead to ferritosis. And this ferritosis then is going to be linked to, yeah, directly to uh, an enhancement of a chemotherapy for late stage pancreatic adenocarcinoma, ductal carcinoma. So I'm going to stop there. This is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry Studios on the 16th of February. I might do my next lecture, in fact, later today of the year 2022. And of course, my normal sign-off, I won't forget to say it, is bye for now.